Yeah, the first reading is the first part of Romans chapter 12, and if you'd like to follow this with me in the Church Bibles, you can find it on page 1139. That's page 1139. So, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you that we have the freedom in this country to gather and meet to worship you. Help us not to take these opportunities for granted. I pray now that as we come to your written word, that we would leave here not only knowing that we have met with each other, but that we have met with you, the living God. May our minds be given clarity so that we can learn from you to go out of here to be witnesses for you to people who don't know you. We ask this, Father, through the the name of your Son, Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us and unites us as family, sealing us as your children. Amen. When I was here three weeks ago, we looked together at what we call the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. And there we looked together at the command of our Lord Jesus Christ directly to his disciples and also to us that we are commanded to go and tell other people about God and the good news from God. What are some of the ways that we can do that? That is what we look at today in this amazing passage of Romans 12. It's perhaps my favourite passage of the New Testament, if you haven't gathered that already. It's not quite up there with Leviticus, but which is my favourite Old Testament book. Because you've got to know the rules in order to bend them, don't you? So please do keep your Bibles open, so that as I speak you can check with me what the Bible is saying. 
This chapter is the key text of the, the Bible school that I conduct online. It's also the key text of the West Bengal Bible School, which we're hoping to start when I visit Calcutta in just over two weeks' time. And in Romans 12 itself, Paul is speaking a letter to the church in Rome that he calls God's beloved. He has not yet been to Rome, and he is currently in that great Greek city of Corinth, and it's about the year 57-58 AD. A man we know as Tertius is acting as his scribe, and he's writing down what Paul is saying. Tertius would later go on to be the bishop of Iconium. So it's rooted in history. And so far in this letters, this letter of Romans 1 to 11, Paul has been drawing a word picture of the gospel of Christ. The gospel which demonstrates that God gets his hands dirty. The gospel which tells us that God has done all he could do in order that humanity could be saved and be in a living and dynamic relationship with him if they choose to be so. Paul then goes on to investigate in depth about this gospel, the nation of Israel and to the Gentiles. And that is where we are up to with this passage before us, Romans 12. Now just as Romans chapters 1 to 11 show that God got his hands dirty in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, so must all those who call themselves his followers and children. We are to get our hands dirty. And as we will hopefully see together, if you're a Christian, you must also put your faith into practice. Exercising your faith just as you do your muscles. Because if your muscles aren't exercised or used, they will wither away, won't they? And the same can be said concerning our faith. How we live our life as Christians is to reflect the life and the love of the God whom we declare openly that we follow and love. And this morning we look at the chapter before us in two sections, firstly in verses 1 to 8, and then we'll have a break for a song before concluding with our second section in verses 9 to 21. Look at verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Paul explains to these beloved children of God in Rome that as Christians, their old life has gone. He starts to explain in detail about how they are to openly show their love of God and they are to live for God alone. The old is gone and the new has come. Now as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, these Roman believers have a new life and new bodies. Due to time limitations this morning, you may be pleased to know that we can't go into any or all of it in any great detail. So together, we'll have a mere glimpse of what I think is one of the most compelling chapters in the New Testament. Paul exhorts these followers of Jesus to worship God with their whole being, not just their minds or their hearts, everything. They are to be as living sacrifices in response to God's mercy, justice, grace and love. Jesus died as a sacrifice 
for the person. So the person must therefore sacrifice their old ways of life, their old thoughts, desires, attitudes and actions. They are to go on to live a whole life which is thoroughly pleasing to God, pleasing in their thoughts, their desires, their attitudes and their actions. But why? Why must this happen? Because that is part of whole life worship of Jesus, the Son of God whom they claim to follow and worship. Because the whole body of the individual Christian has from the point of view of God been declared holy through the death of his Son Jesus on the cross when the person was declared accepted by God. And as Christians... We have been marked and sealed with God the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who helps us, counsels us, consoles us, comforts us, and encourages us, and empowers us. It is worship in the sense of our ongoing service of God and true God. We are not to be gunners, going to do this and going to do that and failing to do anything. We are to be doers, doers of whole life worship of the God we proclaim that we love and serve. But it's not for our salvation. It's to show our salvation. Now let's look at verse 2. And speaking of change, we come now to that fabulous Bible word transformation. When you became a Christian, if you are one, God started transforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. As we saw, that is part of what the Apostle Paul has been saying. In verse 1, we saw that he had encouraged them to worship God with all their lives, minds and their bodies. It is transformation, a renewal of mind and body. That is true worship. Now how do we do that? It's a fundamental of living a Christian life. Transformation. When you became saved, I can generally, you can normally tell when someone's been saved because you can just see the little glimmers of trans- transformation coming about in their life. And the process of transformation starts with the Holy Spirit who lives within you, who is your seal of salvation, and is the agent of change in your life. And this transformation starts in the mind through the reading of scripture and through prayer. Listening to God is part of prayer. And we hand not just our bodies over to worship Jesus, but also our minds. What you input to your mind will dominate your mind. Worship God, body, mind and will. All of these are part of living life wholly for God in the 21st century. Here in Boscombe and wherever we go every day. Now look at verse 3 if I can see it. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So we're to think honestly. It's a warning from Paul. When Paul had his conversion, which we read about in Acts chapter 9, God poured out his grace, the gift of immeasurable goodness upon the apostle. It could be said that Paul's privilege and authority 
had come from God's grace upon him. Paul was an apostle sent by God to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world, particularly to the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world. It was through grace alone that Paul was changed from being the persecutor of the church to being one of the persecuted. It is because of grace that Paul was being transformed. His old life, his old way of living and thinking had gone and his new life and his new living and thinking had come. Could the same be said of you? Could the same be said of me? You just have to ask my wife if I'm being transformed. The same is true of us if we call ourselves Christians. Therefore, we mustn't think either too highly or too lowly of ourselves, our skills, our abilities, overestimating or exaggerating either our strengths or our weaknesses. We're to think of ourselves with honesty and with self-accountability. That's why it's always good to be accountable to others, perhaps to a good friend. And as Christians, we are to think of ourselves rightly, not to be so high and mighty that we can fall off our perch like a dead bird. And as Christians, we're to think of ourselves appropriately, not too highly and nor too lowly, and not with lustful pride or lowly woe. And faith here means a special gift which God has given everybody who is following Jesus. Now we look to the body. Have a quick look around you and notice the different people. Next time you hold their hand or shake their hand, feel the life within them. Note if you can the different ways in which they serve God. One result of the Christian life is that each of us belongs to the other. Whether we want to belong to each other or not, it's a fact, we do. And Paul uses the illustration of the human body. Your body is made up of many parts, each with a distinct purpose and function. The heart can't do the job of the liver, And despite any evidence to the contrary, the brain can't do the job of the big toe. Or the big toe can't really do the function of the brain, can it? Although some people I've met, it may be. And so it is within and within the church, which is Christ's body. Paul comes here to the expression of the Christian's faith, their gifts. Each of us have special abilities and gifts which we are held accountable before God for their development and use. We have these gifts, each of us because of God's amazing grace toward us. And spiritual gifts are also called grace gifts, which refer to any gift that God gives out of the abundance of his grace. They are given to all Christians as God sees fit. In the New Testament, there are four main passages regarding these kind of gifts. I don't think they're meant to be, I think they're meant to be representative lists and not just a conclusive list. And elsewhere, Paul commands that Christians try to excel in gifts that build up the church. We will look at one of them later. 
And when the church is built up, unity prevails. The diversity of spiritual gifts within each local church helps build unity. And these gifts are to be used primarily to bring glory to God and to extend his kingdom here on earth. And if these gifts are not being used for God's purposes, then ultimately they're meaningless, are they not? If each of us is serving as we ought, then God is being glorified and his kingdom here on earth will be extended. We are one body, the church. We belong to each other. Again, even if we don't particularly want to be. That is, we are connected with every other Christian here in Boscombe, in the UK, throughout the world. We are family. We are to be thinking of ourselves appropriately, not too highly and not too lowly. So let's look at the gifts. We don't have time to go into any of these in any great detail, you'll be glad to know. So we have looked at just one. One that we can all participate in, even if we do not have this particular gifting. One that builds up the church. Verse 8. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. This is perhaps one of the most amazing yet underrated gifts. Encouraging others. Why is it amazing, you ask me? Because of the impact it can have on the receivers of such encouragement. This could mean anything from encouraging, to exhorting, to comforting, to counselling, to consoling, to rebuking gently. And the encourager is to build people up in their faith and the life with comforting words or a sign or gift of appreciation. And sometimes even with words of warning. The gift of encouraging can be applied to the gifts so far in this list. Prophecy, preaching, serving, teaching, as well as the gift of giving. Has anyone here asked God for the gift of giving? Encouragement can be done from the platform to many people at the same time. However, more often than not, there's one person interacts with another person. Individual to individual. That phone call, just at the right time. That letter that you've written, just at the right time. Encouragers urge people to respond rightly to God. Encouragers strengthen the weak and comfort those who are in sorrow. Paul himself had a great encourager on his ministry team. Do you know who that was? You can speak, I don't mind. Barnabas. Ten points. Oh, how the church needs encouragers. I've been a Christian now for 40 years, or about 40 years, and it just amazes me how people can encourage. And every Christian can encourage somebody else, even without that specific gift of encouragement. And as we saw in verse 5, as Christians, we belong to each other. Whether you want to belong to me or not, you've got no choice. You belong to me and I belong to you. So let's each of us be practical in our encouragement of the other. 
Perhaps the next person you speak to when you go out of this building will need a word of encouragement. What will you do? Will you encourage that person or will you simply ignore them? Who are your encouragers? I have a team of encouragers who know just the right time to contact me. Have you made sure they know how much you appreciate their encouragement of you? Of course, God, the Holy Spirit, is also the great encourager because he always urges us on and encourages us to live obedient lives worthy of Jesus Christ whom we follow. Will you listen to his encouragement of you as he urges you to go encourage somebody else? Or would you ignore his encouragement, his encouraging voice to do so? Let's go encourage others. Why not seek to encourage at least one person a day? We continue with the second part of Romans 12, starting at verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Paul continues, and he urges his Roman readers to go and really love. To have a gift or gifts such as those we looked at is symbolic of God's love for us. That's why we call them gifts. Therefore we are to love other people. All other people. And in doing so, we reflect God's amazing love. If we are doing it, it is because the love of God has burned deep into our souls and for the welfare of other people. And then we genuinely are loving all other people, really loving them. Most people can smell fake love out in an instant. We're doing things for our own interest and our own welfare and are patronising towards others or as a means to manipulate them. And that is a fake love 
and it is not God-honoring. The love Paul is describing here is an extraordinary love. A sacrificial love in action, which is love without pretension or hypocrisy. This is to be real love, which includes loving those who wouldn't naturally be the target of our love, including those who hate us and those who have done us wrong. To love only those who love us in return is what those outside of the church expects as normal behaviour, doesn't it? But as Christians, as people who claim that we love God, we are to do more and to be seen to love more than other people. And that can be very hard to do, can't it? But if we rely and use the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, then we can do it. If we ask the Holy Spirit to help us, he will. We then, of course, have to be willing to be used by him as well, as well as being uh, willing to be the answer to our own prayers, as we look for opportunities to show genuine love to all people, including those we classify as unlovely. And how is the invisible God seen? God is visibly seen through Christian disciples showing love for other people. And if Christians can be clearly seen to be extraordinary loving others and loving their local community, the gospel message the story of God's love can have an enormous impact. That's a lesson of history. And as Christians, we are to be so filled and energized with God's love and grace that it constitutes a magnetic attraction to others of the majestic goodness of the awesome God that we claim to serve and obey, the God we love. And our motive for all things is to be Love. That includes gently restoring people who may have strayed away, who've gone back into a living a life worthy of following God if they're a Christian. How and in what way are we to love, really love God and truly love other people? That is what Paul is coming to here. The Christian the follower of Jesus is to be so filled and magnetized with God's love and grace that it acts as a magnetic attraction to others of the majestic goodness and love of God. The very God we claim to worship, love, serve, obey and follow. And by loving others in this way, the gospel of God becomes attractive and undeniable. What would Boscombe be like if every Christian who lived here truly acted like that? Boscombe would be changed like that, would it not? Do you love Boscombe? Amen, sister. That is practical love. Real love. Love in action. It's a love which involves getting our hands dirty. Getting our hands dirty, just as God got his hands dirty in the life, death 
and resurrection of his son Jesus. There's Christians living here in 21st century in southern England. We are to love God, love each other, and love all others, including those who want us dead. And there are some in this world that want us dead, because we're Christians. We don't have the level of persecution that they have in other countries. But what is our response to these people to be? Our response is to be like this. Love. Here's how Paul describes love here in Romans chapter 12. Oh, we're on the right one, so that's okay. We're to sincerely love all others extravagantly. We are to hate what is evil by clinging to what is good. We are to be devoted to one another in love, and this devotion and love is revealed to all as we honour others above our own selves and take delight in others. We are to be enthusiastically showing that we serve God with the gifts he has given out of his grace and love. And we do this in order to keep our spiritual fervour alive and burning brightly. We are to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. We are to be faithful in prayer as we continue in our relationship with the living God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit whom we choose to follow. And we are to share with those who are in need. And one fabulous way to do that is to practice hospitality. Generous hospitality. Are you like me in struggling in any of these areas or indeed all of them? But help is at hand because we can rely on God the Holy Spirit who is within us, remember, to empower us. We can listen to his wisdom and follow his instructions obediently. Remember, he lives within us. Still amazes me, even after having been a Christian now since the early 1980s. And we Christians show that we love God by loving other people in practical ways. It could be inviting them here to a service at St. John's or to the Life Explored. It could be by helping the needy and doing hospitality on our doorsteps. It's to show our salvation to those in need of embracing Jesus' love for them. Helping them to find and follow Jesus. That is the picture that Paul has built up. Again, we don't have time to go through each of these today. So we'll just, and you may be pleased to know that actually, and so we'll just touch on one or two which have been laid on my heart for us this morning. And our first one is to serve with zeal. Verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Serve with zeal. Remember those gifts we looked at earlier? How are you doing with your gifts? How are you going to encourage others with zeal, even though you have probably may not have this gift of encouragement? We can all encourage with zeal, can't we? As we know, all of us are to use these gifts and so develop them, work hard at them, ensuring our service of God and of other people is with great zeal and delight. You and I will be held accountable by God for the use and development of the gifts he has given us. 
We are also to work hard at loving other people and particularly loving those other believers that we know because they are our family. Again, whether we like it or not, because of Jesus. That's the immediate context. We are to work on our Christian lives, utilizing the power of the Holy Spirit as he transforms us into the image of God the Son, Jesus. Yes, that can be hard work too, but we're not to give up. It will be worth it. In everything we do, we are to do it with zeal as we serve our God, regardless of what we do. Could that be describing you or I? And our second one, verse 13. Let your love be practical. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Paul is referring to helping other Christians in need, as and when we can. By helping other needy people in the church, such love reflects God's love. As well as telling others about Jesus Christ, the church also has a social mission to help cover the needs of those inside and outside church. Part of that need could be by giving hospitality to people. We should be looking to pursue opportunities to give opportunity, to, to give hospitality, and not just when we want to. Jesus taught in the parable of the sheeps and the goats in Matthew 25 that any act of love and mercy we do for others was also an act of love and mercy toward him. And when we provide the need of others and practice hospitality, we are reaching out to others, just as God reaches out, getting our hands dirty. And perhaps one of the great sins of our generation, in this country anyway, is the neglect to do good to other people. A simple observation. Doing good by supplying needs and practicing hospitality. And remember, sin against God is not only just doing bad things, it's also not doing the good when we have the opportunity. So let, let's now recapitulate before we conclude and finish. Firstly, we saw together that we are to give and live every aspect of our life as worship to God. As we are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, in doing so, we will be able to think about ourselves appropriately. Then we saw that as part of our living for Jesus Christ and our transformation into his image, we are to serve God with our various giftings. We are one body and we have many different opportunities to serve others generously as we seek to glorify Jesus Christ both as individuals and as a church here in Boston. As Christians, Followers of Jesus Christ, we are to be transformed by God, to be worshipping only God, and to be of service to God and other people. We, as Christians, are to allow Jesus, who is our Lord, to be a shining light through us into our communities. And throughout this, this fabulous chapter of Romans 12, Paul has chronicled living a life worthy of living for God. Loving the God who got his hands dirty in love, who loved us and gave himself for us so that we can choose to be called the children of God. 
The Christian life is to be active and dynamic. There's no such thing as being retired from being a Christian. It's reflecting a God who is also active and dynamic in this world. And he is because he has people like you and I who are living lives worthy of being called his children. We are to live such a good life that nobody can accuse us falsely. Let's go, let our light shine in the darkness, overcome our enemies with love, overcome evil with good. As Christians, we are to live and serve our whole lives for God and for God alone. We are to be a people who to be so sold out for God that people will ask why we believe as we do. That is one way how Jesus shines our as a light into Boscombe and to the other communities we go through, through the wonderful, continual transformation, this transforming obedience of you and I. We are to serve God and others with a creative passion for the impossible. Let's go from here to serve our God whom we, we sing that we love, we know that we love, by loving and serving each other and all those we meet each day, interact with at our places of work, rest and play. Let's go determined to love God extravagantly and showing that by using the gifts and talents he's given each of us for his glory. Let's go show Boscombe and the other communities that we visit that our God lives and he really truly is alive. Is he not? We've said about it. Let's go do it. Now you know why I don't have a proper job. And we do it by loving each other extravagantly and sacrificially towards all others, not just to those that we like, but everybody. Boscombe could be transformed in an instant, could it not? We can do it because the living God lives within us. He resides within us, empowering us, strengthening us, and leading us. He is reliable and ever ready. Let's go and serve and love him alone. If you need help, pray to him and he will help. He will help you in ways in which you can only begin to imagine. He is faithful and he will do it. Let's pray, shall we? Father, once again we thank you for this, your written word. And we pray, God, that we would go out of here being willing to be used by you to show your love practically to those we meet. O oh Lord, our heart cries for this community of Boston. May we be a shining light for you here so that Boston indeed can be transformed to your glory. And we ask this, Father, through the name of your Son, Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, seals us as your children and unites us as family. And all of God's people said, Amen.